everyone and welcome to another episode in the Shared Ireland podcast series. Today we are bringing you an MLA from Lagan Valley and he is an Ulster Unionist MLA. Shared Ireland is delighted to welcome along Mr Robbie Butler. Welcome Robbie. Well thank you now for the invitation and it is, it's, a, it's a privilege to, to talk to you today and, and hopefully um, uh, the, the juices will flow and we'll get some interesting debate going today. No problem. Thank you for uh, giving your time. Um, I'm actually very surprised that you could because just to let any of our listeners know, um, we're pre-recording this uh, podcast today, obviously. Um, what date today? This is the 16th, 16th, is 16th of January, 16th of January. So yes. if this doesn't go out for a couple of weeks and there's something major happens between now <laughs> and we release this, you'll understand why yes. we have maybe missed it. Robbie, we generally start off by asking all our guests to outline a little bit about their early life, where you grew up, who was in your family, you know, called name names, obviously, many yep. children. Yep. Um, and I guess, I suppose, just to paint a picture for our listeners to give them a better understanding of who you are as an individual. Okay. So, as you've said, my name's Robbie Butler, and I was born Robert. Robert, My mum okay. gave me Robert, but I... I assimilated the name Robbie when I was about 16, 17, um, a former girlfriend actually sort of called me and I thought that's that's a bit better than Robert. That's cooler. Less for, well, less formal, yeah, cooler <laughs> and less formal, absolutely. And um, so I, I, I stuck with that and um, so I'm, I'm married uh, to uh, Belinda and we've been married for 23 years this year. 23 years? 23 years. You don't look old enough Nine, to be married 23 uh, years. We, 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 uh, um, and this brought me married very young. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, so I, yeah, 1996, uh, we got married. Uh, I think I might have been 24 at that stage. Oh, right. so, okay. so I'm 47 at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, I've got two kids, um, Adam and Robin. So Robin's 21, that's uh, my daughter, and Adam uh, is 18. Uh-huh. Um, I've always sort of hailed from Lisburn. Um, my dad was uh, from Belfast, um, uh, sort of. South Belfast area and around Tuckmona, a very unionist loyalist area. My mum was from the countryside, um, and around Ballasquay. And the, co- the countryside anywhere outside Belfast. Absolutely, it is. Yes, <laughs> people from Belfast would call Lisburn countryside, and to us, it's a city. <laughs> well, it's, not, it's hardly a city, but it's yes. somewhere I'm very proud of. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm very proud to, to be from Lisburn. But I had a, a fantastic sort of um, childhood in some ways, in that I had a, a great balance between my 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 dad's side of the family were Belfast, and they, they lived in West Belfast at this stage. Um, so they moved to a place called Spring Martin. Mm-hmm. Spring Martin is uh, on the interface. Mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, the troubles and some of the legacy that we have and some of the very sad instances, uh, it's right on that interface that we're, we're talking about. And then I had that uh, other place to go to, um, which was the countryside and uh, my granny and grand out in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, both unionist families, mm-hmm. uh, but not political, If you, you know, just yeah. in terms of the masses. They, they were, were unionist and uh, now what I'll have to say is um, I from a very early age had a faith um, the moment that I'm, I'm, I'm one of five kids we were made to go to Sunday school mm-hmm. um, and at a very early age I uh, made a commitment uh, through church and I've, li- I've tried to live that life the whole way through mm-hmm. so no matter what jobs I've done mm-hmm. uh, I've done that school was a bind didn't enjoy school at all oh, all right no aspirations and I mean literally zero aspirations uh, other than what to, age to did you leave school uh, 16 and so, I couldn't so leave soon no enough third level education no. as such no um, GCSE the year that I left school was 1988 that was the first year of GCSE examinations um, I, I, I'm an advocate for them by the way mm-hmm. because it allows for people like me if they worked hard enough to get a good enough mark and then do a small exam 
But this night, I, I, all, I was delivering papers at the time. I couldn't wait to get home to deliver papers to get a couple of pounds because yeah. we didn't have, we, we just didn't have money. Yeah. So, so in, in growing up uh, in a large family, we, we, we relied on at times social mm-hmm. security. And so I have, I have a background there and a real heart for tackling poverty and inequality. Um, so, but all I wanted to do was work. Yeah. And it didn't matter what it was. I just wanted a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fell into becoming a butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I literally just, I had a part-time job as a butcher on a Saturday. The guy said, do you want a job? And I just said, yes. And that was it. So there's no thought process into what this could be. I just wanted to work. And I was for about, let me say, uh, yeah, for about eight years I was a butcher. I did my time and I worked in a couple of shops. What drew you to butchery? Um, I was I was at a party one night. I, I I went out with a girl, and her daddy happened to be open at a butcher shop. So it was a, right. it was a, it was a, it was the price of a kiss. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And that's how I ended up. So again, I just I fell into it. And it's an interesting thing. So if I was just to tell you in a, in a longer, I would tell you about I fell into everything up until politics. So okay. so in terms of my 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 work, um, I, I fell into being a butcher because of uh, uh, a, a liaison one mm-hmm. one evening. I then in 1996 became a prison officer and this is pre-ceasefire mm-hmm. so um, my my late father-in-law uh, was a prison officer and he sort of said why don't you do this and I, I, I went into I was one of the prison auxiliary actually so I did that uh, I did that up until 2000 when my best friend who's a bit older than me but a real influence and mentor in my life said why don't you join the fire service it's a much better job and I you know I'll be honest if anybody's listening and thinks that they haven't got what it takes I thought I didn't have what it takes to get into the fire service yeah no exams and no yes I genuinely didn't believe that I had any academic ability mm-hmm. um, and he said no actually we if we do a bit of work if you prepare for this mm-hmm. you can do anything so I get into the fire service I had 16 fabulous years in the fire service fabulous and I had some success so I was being promoted a few times mm-hmm. and actually when I left politics I was probably ready for my next one which was where I wanted to be mm-hmm. and then Something happened, I met somebody, something else stimulated inside me. Because I'm very proud to be from Lisbon, I'm very proud of Northern Ireland in some fashions, but I know that Northern Ireland has never been able to be what it could be. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if I don't try uh, in my short lifetime, then I will regret it. Um, and perhaps the other thing that stimulated me to get into politics, I've said this before, uh, I have a faith that's probably the most important thing to me outside my wife. And I looked at some politicians who were professed to have a faith and they were unionists, so they were, they were everything that I was supposed to be. Uh, unionists have a faith, but they didn't represent me. And they, they didn't speak or talk in the way that I thought uh, a unionist uh, or a unionist of faith should. You just mentioned religion there a couple of times, Robbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a deacon, I believe, in the Elm Church, is that correct? Right. Okay, so, so two things, Just um, and, and, this, and trust me, I'm, I'm smiling at you so the people know, um, I don't call it religion. Right. Okay, I call it faith, and the reason, yes, I don't, okay. the reason I don't call it a religion is I think that in this country, um, regardless of whether you call yourself a Protestant or a Catholic, it's got nothing to do with having a, re- a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's a faith that's completely different. And I think in this country, one of the issues that we have had is we get hung up on labels. I agree. And and for me, that's one of the things that you'll find me quite robust on. I, yes, am I a Protestant? Yeah, I was born a Protestant, but that's only a small label. Am I a unionist? Yes, it's, it's a label. I've got a bigger badge, and if ever any of those other badges take over the, the badge of my faith, then I'm going to hang the boots up. Mm, do you understand okay. that's yeah. the thing that's most important okay, to me okay I get and, that and um, so if I and that's what I would try and promote so all of those other badges are important less important than the one of faith now so uh, yes I have it on my bio I need to change it I've just recently um, stepped down from okay. being a deacon in the Elam church um, in the Gabri and the reason being a church is really important to me 
denominations less so, um, but I have embarked on a piece of work around mental health specifically, and we've mobilised a lot of the churches across the denominational churches in Lisburn, who are now meeting mm -hmm. after a year, and I'm heavily involved with a lot of churches, mm -hmm. um, and trying to drive that agenda in that community to deal with mental health in there, support each other, and then spread out and, how, and see how they can help the wider community. Mm -hmm. But central to just a bit of an idea. Yes, excellent. Well, maybe touch on that yes. as we continue. I noticed, as I do with all our future guests, Robbie, done a little bit of research on you last night, and something jumped out at me. And I think it's fascinating, but again, I'll let you, if you don't mind, talk about it. Yourself and your wife foster children, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Would you mind telling our listeners just a little bit about how you get into that? And, mm -hmm. and I guess, apart from the obvious yes. benefit of yes. helping strangers' yes. lives, which these children are before they come to you, you know, it must be, you must get a massive sense of, uh, I guess, achievement. Is that fair? Um, you do. Um, I think uh, you know many people would talk to us about fostering, and I, th I don't think it's a foreign feeling for for any um, adult to have that they recognise that there's an absolute need. There is a there is a I wouldn't call it a crisis, but there is an absolute need where look, looked after children are concerned that through no fault of their own, perhaps the circumstances that they find themselves in and social services then extracted them from, um, that they deserve the very best chance that we can give them. And if we can't, as a society, um, build into our most vulnerable people and, and, and I think there is it's not a hierarchy by the way but it's in terms of um, the change that you can make the earlier and younger you can get in with people you know uh, people then the more change that you can affect so I think maybe we've probably been fostering at least 10 years now I, I genuinely can't remember this single event which stimulated a conversation. I'm, I'm sure it was my you're, wife. You preempted my next question. <laughs> yes, right. Well, well I think it, it was. Pro I'm fairly sure we probably heard something in church, um, from from a faith group that said, you know, that this is this is something you should do. I lived beside growing up. I lived beside a children's home, and I knew the kids who lived in the home. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you know, meeting some, and, and, and nearly every one of them had a social, you know, a social interaction difficulty, like, um, and 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 I and I. And I, even then, I had a heart for them. You know, I sort of, I knew they'd come from a, a more difficult background. I was from a dark background where there wasn't a lot of money and poverty, but there was. But we were okay. Yes. There was no sort of problems in the house. There was no addiction problems. There yes. was no, um, uh, well, let's not go into the, the, the real issues that the people are extracted for. Suffice to say that sometimes when children are in danger for whatever reason, they need to be taken out, yeah. and they need to be given. Not just love. Love's an important thing, but actually you can't necessarily... But see, security is the biggest thing you can give them. A stable environment. A stable environment. You know, rules, yeah. guidelines, a framework. Mm -hmm. Kids thrive. Mm -hmm. in, and, and I don't like anybody to call it normality. There's no such thing as normality mm -hmm. because all houses are different and how we appropriate that mm -hmm. is, 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 is equally valid. You know, um, you could go into a very strict house and it'd be good and you could go into... My house wouldn't be overly strict. Um, Except when my wife tells me that I'm not doing something, I'm doing something in that strict. But the reality is, so now we had two young children at the time. So you go through the process, and um, people say, "But I've, but I, we both work. No excuse not to do it. We both worked. I was in the fire service, very ambitious, went through promotion processes. Two young kids, probably in the age range of say, at the time, ten and eight, something like that. Um, my wife was training to be a nurse. We were, and we were, you know, we were moving house. We were doing all those things. And we found that actually there's no barrier to fostering because they want homes that 
like normal homes that have wee pressures that, 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 that so if you and, and the other thing that we, I would give a bit of advice is that in this if you were considering doing it and you had young children well then ins insist upon having children that are younger than yours now you'll probably be guided into it mm -hmm. so my kids were 10 and 8 so at that stage we never took any kids in uh, that were were older than and brought them through the teenage years yes, for yes. Now, because we, you haven't witnessed it with your own exactly yeah. and and there's a, you also want to make sure your kids you never your kids are primary in this also so you're still putting into your own kids it's important that they understand and they do benefit from it but they can never be put aside yeah. to foster so yeah. they're part of the deal we mostly did babies and toddlers and young children and, and that's remained to be the case um, I'm, I'm sure there's different lengths of time that um potential foster child can be with a family but um in your own example yeah what was the average length of time that you looked after okay so all we have ever committed to do is emergency respite okay. and short term okay the longest that we have had any child um was six weeks that was oh, the longest okay and what i will say to anybody that's listening um that the change that you can affect in a child over a period of a week or two is incredible you have seen them ah. tangible results now incredible honestly i mean it's 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 so people say i'm not going to do it because i would cry when i'm leaving them back it's like that's no excuse that is no that's no excuse you know, i never thought about that it's not it's no excuse because especially when you've done a few and you see the change that you can affect well come here tell me this just on that point that you made yes yeah, that's, I, I'll give you an example. I'll, you, I'll give you. I'll give you one example, and and obviously there's no names here. But we we had a, 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 a two. He was a two year old boy. Um, he was. Uh, he, when he came, he, he he used to sit on his on the floor. He was uh, in nappies. He was he would have banged his head on the floor. He'd have just sat with his legs open and banged his head on the floor. He wasn't walking, crawled along, and he was one of the ones that we had for longer, maybe five weeks, four or five weeks. And in those four or five weeks, he was out of nappies. He no longer banged his head and he was walking. There was just something holding. There was just, it wasn't that he couldn't. It was because when whatever environment he was in, it was something else. Tell me this, Robbie, did it not break your heart then parting with this young man? Well, I, I'm a firm believer in the, the paternal home is the best place for kids if and when it is established. And for that case, and that, that, that young man now, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a young man. It would have been one of our earlier ones. Well, young, he's a teenager. Uh, he went into kinship care, so I. You know, here's the thing: it would be selfish, actually, to think that you had it all and you were able to give it all. Here's the reality: the best place for those children is in a family which has got the support. There's no, they're better off with their mum or dad or aunt or uncle, whatever that is. Yeah. But not if it's dangerous. Yeah. So in in that instance, social services had ruled in beside the family, mm -hmm. and and I I know um, anecdotally that mum and sees. Um, him quite often now and he's with in kinship care and he's doing very well and um, and that's the right outcome would I have and I'll be honest he probably would have been my favourite of all of them but probably because we had him one of those but that change that we could see of course yes. yeah. that was yeah. a, a bigger transformation um, I don't want to labour this subject yeah. too long because um, we we um, time is against us. Well, I, here's, I just I'll just say this. Yeah. That, so so I've moved on obviously into what I'm doing now, which is politics. And my wife has moved a couple of times in nursing. We still do it, but mm -hmm. to we I, I think in this year maybe we've had three or four kids. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot in the past twelve months. In the past twelve months, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's through this whole political uncertainty mm -hmm. and and and, and um, it, there's been a massive pressure. 
Um, but as recently as this week, uh, at the end of last week, I was I was phoned up about um, three sisters who've been taken into care. Um, and just our circumstances, we couldn't help out at the weekend um, at the moment. But there's, a, there's a, almost a need every week. It's not diminishing. And I've just put this call out, if you don't mind, just uh, whether you're listening to this north or south, um, if you're considering fostering, go for it. Give it a try. It's a lengthy process to get into. Certainly in Northern Ireland, it takes about a year. Um, uh, child protection issues, yes, that, that's all right. But I think maybe it should be expediting it. There is a, a real shortage of foster cares. Not that this has anything got to do with it, but I'm assuming that there is a financial contribution that agencies or a government make to the foster family in order to feed and clothe an extra Absolutely. body. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what the figures are other than to say is it'll not make you rich. No, of um, course. But uh, I, if you have a full-time foster child, say in terms of a year, then that is different. Okay, but if you do what we do, which is short-term emergency and respite, it's a fixed fee for a day. And like things, if you've got a baby, for instance, you get a nappy allowance, mm-hmm. um, which is a couple of pounds, you know, because it, it's done yeah. on that. And it's it's actually fiscally, it's very well it's very well monitored, and it does alleviate the burden because there is an extra cost because you're traveling, um, if you're buying nappies, if you're and you're feeding, and you and you anything you do, you, you, you take the child to. Yeah. So. Um, so yes, the, the agencies, whether it's a statutory agency or whether it's a charity, yes they do. I find this conversation fascinating. Um, in other words, just certain subjects, they, they prick an interest in you. Uh, yeah. And I know our listeners will as well. Final question on this subject, if you don't mind, Robin. Do you ever bump into or is there a mechanism for keeping in touch with people years after you once had them in your home? No, there's no mechanism and um, uh, there never will be one. Um, it's, it's one of those... Um, Things. One of the things that's been it's been brought in recently, which I think is a, an absolutely fabulous idea, and I wish it had been the case when we had some of the kids in the earlier days, is a like a memory book for. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I, I have a. If you've done any research, you'll see that I have a big dog, uh, a big St Bernard. Uh, right. She's beautiful. Uh, called Minnie. Now, so we have had, and she's she's she'll be. I think she'll be four this year. She'll be four in April. So in those four years, we've had a number of kids have come through, from six months to say three or four years of age. Now. In the developmental parts of their brains, they will remember certain things. Now, so so they could get either a fear of animals or dogs through the bad experience, or they. So, we have had children through who will have experienced many, nice and Bernard, mm-hmm. and they will have a memory in the bank of of dogs, and that it should be a good memory. But because we didn't have a book, we couldn't record it. Now the books are going to allow things like you stayed with such and such on such yeah. and such a date here's a picture of the dog exactly you know and, it's a good idea. and I, I listen i'm 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 a wee bit disappointed that we didn't get the opportunity to do that um have i seen some kids i have um but it wouldn't you can't solicit you cannot solicit to go and speak or anything yeah there's not if someone come was to come to me and yes. i hope i hope at some stage it happens mm-hmm. i really pray it does yeah a couple in particular i've seen a couple and so, some have stopped some have stopped with a pram and said, "There's Robbie," and you're going, "Coochie, coochie, coo," and mm-hmm. just you're going, "Oh my goodness!" Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's it's lovely. Excellent, very good, very good, and fair play to you. Yeah. Not that you need my endorsement, <laughs> but um, yeah, well done. Cheers. Um, was it a simple yes from you and your party, Robbie, when considering rejoining the assembly that has been restored all of what? Five days now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're actually nearly. Where are we? We're nearly up to two weeks. Come Saturday. 
Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. three. Believe it or not, so, so time, time, flies. time flies. Time flies. Okay, so there's two parts to that, I imagine. So there's, there's, there's rejoining the Assembly and then there's rejoining the Executive. Yes. Um, so, and it's interesting we're having this discussion today because there's obviously been a few, uh, over this past 36 hours in terms of what the financial package looks like and Correct. some people are complaining, some people aren't. And so on. Well, that was, um, well, to speak about the financial package um, in the next part yeah, of the question, yeah. okay. if you don't mind, because yeah, that, sure. that is um, a very live one, as you say. Yeah. So, so what I would say is that um, there's absolutely no doubt that uh, there wasn't a single party involved in those negotiations that uh, didn't want to have an assembly restored. And now, but here's the thing. The reason for that wasn't because um, the politicians or the some of the parties had had enough. Because what we have in Northern Ireland is one party that sees itself as not being able to be removed and with one party that sees itself as a relentless force and neither sit very well with each other. Um, as happened in 2016. But what happened was um, through uh, different external forces, particularly the last election, when people were knocking doors, and the electorate were saying to us what they wanted us to do, anybody that said no would have been hung out to dry by the electorate. I Regardless agree. of what background you're from, there's nobody was hearing anything other on the doorstep than get your act together, get back to work, and sort out the pressures in this country. Now, we will talk about mental health. I think that's one Good message that that's all parties agree on that came across loud and clear. Absolutely. Everybody wanted something done. Absolutely. And people were less inclined in December this year to rehearse finger pointing. I'm talking about, not talking about politicians, because politicians will still seek to do that. Mm -hmm. But the people in the door were not of a mind to listen to issues um, and said, we're not going back because we didn't get this, or we're not going back because we didn't, we're not going to give that. Mm -hmm. People were saying, we don't actually care anymore. You have squeezed too much juice out of this lemon, yeah. and the lemon is talking back. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would say um, there was a lesson learned. I just hope that all of the parties remember it. I guess what, without giving away any of your Austria Unionist mm -hmm. Party inner secrets, but was there was there not opposition, but was there concerns within your own party about entering into? I guess to have a. Um, to be part of the, the, the establishment, the government, or did you think, was it possible to maybe go in as um, opposition, opposition like, like yourselves <laughs> in the SDLP and all this yeah. before? Okay, so so I, I am speaking on like from the Austrian's perspective here, but mm -hmm. what I can unequivocally say is that what I would say would have been echoed in the SDLP rooms and in the Alliance mm -hmm. rooms. I know that because I was with them. I was part of the negotiating team. Let's be clear about the agreement. It's an imperfect agreement. Um, but the people in that it's affected don't care anymore. What they want us to do is go and find solutions. So when we look at the, the problems that we have with the, the, the former executive partners in terms of that sustainability, the transparency, the openness, has it been fixed? No, it hasn't. But that's not within our control. Mm. What, what's within our control is perhaps to bring a different influence. Um, and it was clear on, on the doorstep that, that um, and I was glad to hear it, as a unionist where people were, and, and politicians were saying, let's get back to the spread of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm -hmm. The people can have a different analysis about it, but here's the key thing about it. It's about a shared future, mm -hmm. okay? And it is that grown-up conversation. And uh, everybody was saying it, even those that were opposed to it, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who were even as recently as 
October, November, in certain interviews saying that they would never vote for it and they'd be opposed to it today. Or now hold it like a uh, a, a dearly held um, personal, uh, you know, iteration, which is which is marvelous because people can change. Yeah, and people can see the good in something perhaps after a period of time. Um, so within. Uh, each of the smaller parties, there's no doubt that we didn't receive the full confidence that enough has been achieved. However, um, we're absolutely 100% convinced that this perhaps is the last chance for shared institutions to work on a, on a collegiate approach. And maybe we have the right people in the right place at the right time. Now, that is a, a firm belief by, I guess, the uh, general public and including uh, political parties that if it doesn't work this time, there possibly that'll be the end of, of, of the working executive as I know it. I, I would say uh, uh, there's every possibility that if, that if we mess up um, what we have here, given the problems that have, we've been facing for a number of years now and, and, and those that will still come, in a very fast-paced societal change environment, uh, the politics needs to step up to the game here. Um, people have never had better access to politicians than they have now, whether that's social media or news or whatever. I mean, uh, nighty politicians were, were behind the, 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 the curtain and you knew nothing of what were, what was going on. Stuffy old man that, that you seen on TV and that was it. Exactly. Mm. And, 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 and they got away with a lot. You don't get away with stuff anymore. Yeah, that's right. And, and neither should people accept it. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned there um, at the start of this conversation, Robbie, about um, the budget and finances and stuff. Yeah. I think for many people, and I guess nobody more so than the political parties, yes. but for me and other people that I've been speaking to, it's, it's astonishing to hear now mm -hmm. that there was no pre-agreed yes. budget yes. or X amount of pounds was pledged mm -hmm. by the British slash Irish governments prior yeah. to the restoration Yep. of Stormont. Yep. Now, you know, basic fundamentals would suggest that, you know, why would you restore something? I'm talking purely about money here now. Yep. If you didn't know how much you were going to get. Like, is it not rule one of, of, oh. of any school, that? Okay, so I, I, I'll turn the tables and I'll say to you, yeah, you're Boris Johnson or you're sitting in the Treasury. Please don't talk and about you that. And you have a dysfunctional set of politicians coming to you and saying we want this what leverage would we have been bringing to either the British or the Irish government and saying we demand this amount of money uh, and otherwise we won't set up yeah, but if I was Boris Johnson Robbie I am also coming to you mm -hmm. looking you to restore the assembly Ab absolutely but but also what, what is known by everybody is that the public are demanding it yeah and that's who we serve we don't serve Boris Johnson no, we serve the public of Northern Ireland so here's the thing it would have been right and proper to restore that executive and that assembly even without a financial package. Absolutely. That's the fundamental thing that we need to remember here. Yeah. Okay? But we're just so, talking about so, yes, no, I, I, I understand that. I understand that. So, but I think we need to be careful that, that we don't start doing the finger pointing because that's what happens in politics. People very quickly say, I need cover here, so I'm going to point the finger. That's, that's what I'm trying to say is, in the discussions which I was in, money was mentioned, absolutely. And... I think what they hear Conor Murphy come out and say that he was shocked, you know, as if it was a revelation it, when he was told there's going to be two billion. Just well, here, here, here's here's the thing. What predicated the collapse of the assembly could be could be said to be 
financial misappropriation, poor fiscal responsibility. Um, you know, you've got RHI, you've got um, the, the, the big infrastructure projects running hundreds of millions of pounds over budget. Now, where does that money come from? So if the, per, the, the, per, the Treasury, who, who, who put, give that money up, aren't certain of the fiscal appropriation, the fiscal responsibility of an assembly here, I would suggest that they're going to do it over a period of time. And they're going to do it over a period of time of confidence building. Now, and, and, and I talked about, I've been recorded talking about the promissory notes. Now, my passion is it around mental health and around health and around those immediate concerns that we have. I, I, I think this will be a stepped approach. Um, I'm glad that there's money there. Am I disappointed? Of course I'm disappointed. I would want a whole lot of more money uh, to tackle uh, the levels of suicide and mental health. But I'm also a realist. And I believe that we have, if we make a good case, um, if, I, if we make a good case, and this has been probably in terms of the talks, the, this is part of the talks, that there would be fiscal responsibility required. Uh, one of the things that we asked for uh, was an independent fiscal council to oversee spend. And I, I would suggest that that may bring good value mm. because, when, uh, and here, here's what we're after. We're after treasury money. What is treasury money? It's taxpayers' money. Who's the taxpayer? The man and the woman in the street. Mm -hmm whether you live in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales or England or whatever, uh, and for the peace that the South bring again, it's the taxpayer in the South, okay? So, 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 so we have to bring that maturity that's been missing for years, and it was part of the, 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 the reasons for collapse. I know the Irish language was well covered and, and, and used by Sinn Féin, as a, as a, as, and they, they did use it, there's no doubt about that. However, there was uh, incompetent governance as well, and, and we need to restore that. So um, I think there's another party will say they think it's enough, um, but I think we've got two years to... Well, well it's wonderful even driving down here to meet you today, Robbie. Um, on the news, one of the, the headline stories mm -hmm. was that the uh, Royal College of Nursing and the trade unions have um, called off their strike yes. uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday of next week, I believe it was due to happen, yes. because they have agreed now um, that pay parity will be... Um, not even restored will be given for the first time yes. with their fellow colleagues in uh, in England, Scotland, and Wales. Mm -hmm. But that money apparently is coming from a pre-existing budget, so it isn't even part of this new money that has been allegedly pledged. So yeah, across a, a number of the different um, requests, money is coming from different areas. Um, I, I think the, the bit you're alluding to is there's about thirty million pounds is coming from front loading. Mm -hmm. um, that's for, um, but it, again. Um, in terms of that clarity of, of how the money would come, I think that's that's how a lot of it is done anyway. So I think the, the more important piece was around about the Barnet consequentials, and so there were there were government promises in around spending on, yeah. on different issues. So the Barnet consequentials, I think, bring one billion. Uh, there's a, there's an additional one billion, and then there's there's the additional monies too. So I think it amounts to probably two point nine billion, I think, possibly over the next two to three years. But again, that's when we've started those negotiations, and I and I um. Listen, the politicians uh, should be trusted for short periods of time until they deliver. I, I, I know that um, uh, internally we will be pushing uh, the Secretary of State to push the Treasury uh, for further delivery. Um, uh, but we've got crisis to deal with and you picked up probably the most important one, which is the, the health service. Mm. Um, so uh, I think we just need to deal with things in the turn. We didn't have any of the parties uh, a whole lot to offer um, the two governments in this agreement in terms of that, that absolute leverage because this place should have been going for this last three years. You know, if we're going to point a finger at anybody, what were we doing for three years? 
And trust me, the, the fallout for these last three years is going to impact on people's lives for some time. Robbie, um, just to try and cover different topics in this short period that we have here. Yep. You are founder slash co-founder of a mental health group called Mind Your Bap. Yes. Uh, great name, love, love the title, <laughs> okay. um, and you're also also Unionist Party spokesperson for mental health. Yes. What do we need to do? Um, I think in uh, the, the, how you address mental health in any area, whether that's in England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, wherever you are, Wales, it has to be local because we're all slightly different. We're different types of people, and, and I think we need to do it in our own way. Um, it's, it is looking at that um, the underlying issue. So we are a post-conflict society, so that has its part to play. Um, we have, and you can see uh, where mental health, it, it affects everybody. It affects, no matter where you're from uh, and you're standing in life, it can affect you. But there are certainly are, uh, in terms of uh, poverty and deprivation, there, there's real core you know, um, concentrations of pure mental health and, and suicide. You said there that, uh, uh, you know, it affects us all in different ways. Yes. Um, once upon a time, there was a label here that, and rightfully so, that everybody living in the north, in the six counties, northern Ireland, yes. call it what you want, was directly or indirectly affected by the troubles mm -hmm. because you knew somebody, whether it was a family member, whether it was unfortunately yourself, whether it was a neighbour or somebody you used to go to school with. Yes. So it's a way that we were directly affected by the troubles. Yes. But now, unfortunately, that same label can be attached to, and I stress unfortunately, obviously, someone, I believe, we all know somebody or some family that has been involved in suicide. Yeah. Um, like this week alone in North Belfast, has there been two, possibly three people taking their own lives at a very young age? Yeah. This has now become the cancer, the modern cancer of the 21st century mm -hmm. and it ain't going away mm -hmm. um, and I know the whole new talk and social media and all is that it's okay not to be okay and, and while I agree and I know you will agree too these buzzwords are great mm -hmm. and people love to be seen to be talking about and this is a fear that I have too mm -hmm. is that so-called celebs and influencers mm -hmm. and politicians dare I even mm -hmm. add and, and I, I'm not singling any party or anybody out but I believe there's a bandwagon and people love to be seen mm -hmm. to be jumping on it and this is one of my fears uh, for anybody that has suffered through mental health problems never mind even a, a worse case as a, having been a family member maybe taking their own life yes this isn't you know just the latest craze no this is not going away and, and i guess that's what i mean what do we need to do Unfortunately, money needs to be fired at this. Why? Because it helps promote it. It helps educate people. Okay. And one of my, and I'll shut up now and let you answer. But one of my biggest fears is this: is appointing a mental health advocate okay. through Stormont or the executive. Yes. I I don't want this just to be a fancy title. Mm -hmm. And and again, there has to be the this person, whoever he or she may be, has to have appropriate qualifications. I believe too, mm -hmm. because there's no point taking. We'll just say you were a butcher. Yes. There's no point, and I don't think appointing somebody who used to be a butcher to combat mental health when they have no experience in that field. Well, it's okay. So we'll try and R rant over. That's okay. No, no. Here, here, do you know what it is? It's great to hear the passion. You obviously care about it. You yeah. care about people, and you care about this issue, which is brilliant. And and lots of people in Northern Ireland are now because, as you've said, not nearly every one of us. 
every one of us will know somebody if we're not suffering ourselves and nearly every one of us will know someone who has taken their life uh, through suicide now in terms of right we'll deal with the first thing you talked about the effects our way effects now here's the thing mental health has always mental health has always existed and death by suicide has always been However, we have, um, we've, we're at a crisis point in Northern Ireland, okay, and um, the levels here are atrocious. And they, it is, for me, it is my number one priority to see addressed. Um, so in, in, a, in a very simplistic term, I think there's a, there's a, a relatively easy, low-cost solution to make in the start. It's a bit like the fostering we talked about at the start. The earlier the intervention, the greater the benefit. Fact. Doesn't, doesn't change, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so here's the thing. So our starting point for the preventative piece is with pregnant mothers, Early years and primary school. That's the preventative piece. It starts there. And let me give you an example of why it works. In the fire service, um, they do a, a thing called the P5 safety talk, primary five safety talk, fire safety talk. Now, years ago, and you'll remember now, on the TV, there was an advertisement for fire safety, and a, a couple, to a tune, did their bedtime routine, and, the, it was a, and they get up and they put ice trays out and they put fire guards on, and they did that, and it was done to music. So, so you can do a wee bit on TV, a wee bit, that, that's the message. But this is the most important piece. The fire service, free of charge, deliver a talk at P5, once. Now, I've tested this, and, uh, you know, when I'm talking to groups of young adults, never mind teenagers, and I'll ask them, do you remember when the fire service came to your school and talked about fire safety? And they almost always say yes. And I ask them, and I say to them, what do you remember? And do you know something? They'll pick out one or two things. They'll say, oh... They used cards and they used cartoons and there was one and it was like a smoke alarm. Okay. I see where you're going with say, Okay, thing. right. And they say, ah, they talked about a bedtime routine and putting your skateboard away. Right. What is, why did the fire service do that? They did that to, to um, reduce the amount of people dying in accidental house fires. What was the net result of the fire service doing that? The deaths in accidental fires went through the floor through the floor in our lifetime and again just to just to remind our listeners you are a fairly senior yeah. fire officer reasonably so, so you have <laughs> if you're in the fire service you'll be saying that he used to clean the toilets but i didn't i was i guess i was in charge of a i was in charge of a station in belfast i like where so you're on. going with this okay yeah. so 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 i know when we've got we've got measured output that you can affect things like road safety is another issue sure and the road to zero um, you, you can do the appropriate stuff on TV, but you also need to do that stuff in school. So when people are coming to driving age, you need to get in there, equip them with the information. But the mental health stuff's more important. So we know that um, through the research that a pregnant mother, so in terms of uh, issues like alcohol, smoking, uh, abuse, loud voices, all of those type of things, when the baby is developing, the brain's developing, the neural pathways are developing, the flight or fright response, okay? It's important that mothers are supported. We don't have um, proper perinatal services here in Northern Ireland, mother-baby units, mm -hmm. um, for those difficult um, instances or those people who need extra support or those um, women who, and it's very prevalent in pregnancy, um, uh, uh, depression. Um, in fact, uh, it, it probably will surprise people to know that the number one cause of death in pregnancy is suicide. Honestly. Honestly. Well, that surprised me. Okay. So that's, that's really important, okay? Um, so that's why we need to get stuff in right at the very start. So it's, it's we need to start pre-birth, okay? And this is cradle to grave stuff, but it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, mm -hmm. okay? So we've, there's a great case already made for the perinatal services here, okay? And we need to get that rolled out. And that's part of, again, that was part of the, the, the ask, and that'll happen. I do believe it'll happen soon. Then the next bit is that educational piece. That's the real, that's where I believe the, the, the real bit will be. But you can't just you can't just give the child the information. What we also need to do is tackle those 
societal issues, poverty, alcoholism, drug addiction, and social media. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, listen, it's about partnerships and it's about bringing it down perhaps in the even local government level. Now, the fire service um, was a, a professional body that could be used, obviously, to tackle that. We don't, I'm, I'm keen on this one. Teachers are there to teach academia. They shouldn't be doing, they, they're there to, to spot stuff and they're there to be, you can't be a disciplinarian and also be a counsellor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit. So I, this is what I would like to see. And there are areas of good practice across um, Northern Ireland at the moment, one in Craigavon in particular, a group called REACH. And they, for very little money, will do primary schools and secondary schools uh, or grammar schools. And they do that lovely transitional piece, you know, from P7 to, to first year or, or year, what's it called, year nine, mm -hmm. you know, year eight. Okay. And, and they mentor the kids. So it's not, even, it's not called mental health. It's about resilience building uh, uh, and it's about mentoring. So it's not even called mental health at that stage. Now, schools don't have to do it. They they can they can choose whether to do it or not. I think we need to make it compulsory, but Standard, make it as easy. Yeah. But but it can't be a burden to the school. That's why I'd be keen mm -hmm. for groups like that to be resourced and equipped. Mm -hmm. In fact, your colleague um, Mike Nesbitt yes. is involved with a group called Safe Talk. Yes. And and I don't know if you're familiar with it, mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a fascinating angle to take. At the whole mental health approach, Safe Talk basically uh, it gives shopkeepers, uh, firemen, um, policemen, and women, milkmen, yep. breadmen, and keep saying men here, but shop workers, <laughs> yes. people that are interacting with the public on yes. a daily basis, it, it kind of gives them the tools to spot somebody that, that maybe isn't just feeling themselves today and then signpost them to different agencies. You've hit the nail on the head there now. Every one of us have a responsibility or could have a responsibility or should have a responsibility. We don't need to be an expert. Mm. But see if you've lived a certain amount of years and you've your own experience, it makes as much of an expert as exactly. almost as, as anybody. Because the peer piece, yeah. um, there's nothing more normalising than hearing someone else's story that makes you feel normal. But Robbie, would, would it not be fair to say, and, and I think this is where local government could, could really play a major part, is that, again, I'm quoting your colleague Mike Nesbitt here. Um, in Mike's own area, he told me that when he researched how many mental health agencies there were around, you know, like small community yes. ones, there were something like late teens, early 20s. Like, it was crazy. Um, like, we're all aware of the Samaritans and mm -hmm. Aware and, and these big ones that yes. get national airtime. Air but there needs to be a joined-up approach here. Absolutely. And signposting people and, and ensuring that these smaller groups whether they be in small rural communities and somebody living 10 miles away would never hurt help them through whatever reason, but they simply haven't maybe got the manpower, um, the people power, the funding, whatever. But I think it's that that's where our local MLAs can play a part in coming out and forming some sort of a, a jigsaw, but putting the pieces together. It's one of those, it's a funny thing. Um, unless you you might know what you're looking for but you not, might not know what they ask for yeah and, and because if you said a lot of services are available are there okay mm -hmm. um but if you don't know what the right questions to ask then it's impossible to find i know that the trusts have a thing called a z card and and, and when you fold it out there's literally every phone number you could ever wish it's there and, and where can this be accessed uh, it's online so you can if you if, if anybody goes into any of the trusts um, websites and, and look for Z card. I'm fairly sure it's called a Z card, okay. and they will have um, a list of um, 
or statutory and voluntary uh, charitable organisations. And it's very good because you'll see the specific ones, for instance, in around drug and alcohol use. Mm -hmm. You'll see stuff in around uh, child and ad adolescent stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, it goes wider than mental health, yeah. but there's a lot of good stuff. On, the only difficulty with that sometimes is some of those, it's time-bound. So, yes. you know, it, if it wasn't updated regularly. Yes. It was previously done on paper, and that has its issues. Some people need it on paper. Some people can do access online. Um, but this is why I think we need to go back uh, where, where the children are and, and then educate them, not just in terms of the resilience mentoring piece, um, but also in the right questions they ask. Mm -hmm. And where do you get information? And if they know that, that's the same as our safety. Um, know what the causes of fire are, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you know the phone 999. Can we make it as simple as that? Um, that if, you, if there's a mental health issue, is it is it is it like a nine 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 call? Now, here's here's where we need to get get real to. Um, slight depression, slight anxiety is not a mental illness. We will all be anxious. Yeah, we will all be sometimes depressed, and so there's a there's an awareness piece, there's an educative piece in there for young people too. That just because you're feeling down doesn't mean that you are depressed or depressive. It's just in life you get the good times, you get the bad times, and you learn from both because they're both imposters. And, and you grow mm -hmm. and you use both all of your experiences. Um, but listen, our young people are, are facing challenges that we never faced. They don't, es they don't escape from life. I was bullied in school, but at least when I went home, at least I had that break. Exactly. Now, nowadays you can be confident 24 24 7. Yeah. Uh, and people say, what, you know, why are young people, uh, is there something wrong? Uh, yeah, they're living in a, a 24 7. You have to have, and you're, you know, um, and and this comparison, you know, the, the latest iPhone, uh, the biggest TV, yeah. the most expensive makeup, um, access to alcohol, drugs, and actually even attitudes towards sex and stuff, and that there, and all the things that you yeah. can and must have now. Yeah. Well, actually, listen, a hundred percent. You and I both grew up in uh, in the seventies, eighties, mm -hmm. and as you rightly say, the the children, our children, even yeah. now. Um, grow up in a totally different world. Like it's an alien world. Absolutely. It really is an alien world. Like. Uh, the, 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 I've I've witnessed through different forums just children, very young children, being uh, sitting in conversations they should never be in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Adult conversations about real problems, which yeah. even adults should be yeah. kind of dis not, not dis I'm saying sensitive stuff, and they, and they get exposed to language and circumstances that a child shouldn't because it's they don't have the capacity and the knowledge to deal with that. And, it's, and every wee thing's like a wee scar, mm -hmm. and, and it builds into something, you can't build into something. Robbie, I see we're 46 minutes in here, and honestly, I think... Um, we should have a bit more time now. <laughs> exactly, and I would love to spend another hour and 46 minutes talking about this particular <laughs> subject. But just to sum up, what can Robbie Butler, MLA, do okay. to help society in regards to mental health? Okay, I'm going to go in two parts here, if you don't mind. Part First part, it'll sound like a plug. Remind your bop, but it, it's not really. Oh, because, I know it isn't. Because, listen, because, you know, yeah. and, and the reason I'm saying that is, um, so uh, last year, um, about a year and a half ago, a, a, a guy took his life in this one, and he was well known to a lot of us, and there was a, a huge public outpouring and a lot of grief and stuff, and um, me and a guy called Marty then got together, and I'll be honest, Marty said to me, we were looking at ideas of things to do, um, not as a politician, just as Robbie Butler and Marty Chappelle. And um, he said, what about a podcast? And I literally said, what's a podcast? Hadn't a clue. I'm, I'm 48, I'm nearly 50, I'm 47, I'm nearly 50. Podcast. And uh, he said, this is what it is. Go and listen to this and go and do that. He said, go and listen to the Shared Ireland. Uh, right. Well, well, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's more of a, a loyalist. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
So and that's maybe, all the more reason to be listening reason, to it. I'll, 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 I'll direct him to this one. Yeah. Wait till he hears him on that. Wait till he hears him doing a podcast with Jared Allen. <laughs> My goodness. Um, so I went and listened to a few and I thought, okay, sounds like a good medium to reach people. And we said, okay, we'll draw a line around Lisburn Lagan Valley. We need to reach the people and just give them um, we're not we're not experts we're not but we've got lived experience and um, so we started to record a few videos now we we uploaded them onto YouTube first of all because YouTube gives you great capacity for reach but then we recognised yeah we're reaching but we're not reaching we're it's, it's wide it's too wide yeah we want to try and fix what exactly. we can so we we just literally changed to the medium of Facebook mm-hmm. um, which I use anyway from politics and we have built up a really good community on Facebook now what we also develop and if, if anybody goes to it they'll see how bad we were at the start and we're probably haven't improved that much it doesn't I, matter I feel your pain <laughs> yeah well, here's the thing it doesn't matter because we're real exactly people know us from walking down the street mm-hmm. we've shared a little bit of our, our our own life which is good um but we've had experts on the show we've had a uh, professor Siobhan O'Neill's been on um she's probably the leading academic on suicide prevention we've had a lot of um brilliant people on sharing their experience now we're very careful that we don't expose anybody that isn't ready to share or it's not yeah. appropriate and we are reasonably careful in our language we use it as a tool to point people so the prime purpose of it is is to share experience to norm, help normalize people's pain and to that no matter what you're going through no matter what it is and no matter how odd you feel or different you are actually no different to maybe someone sitting very close to you and the very see the moment you recognize that the pain that you have and the hopelessness isn't unique to you and someone else has got it went through it and experienced it and can say it can change and it, and it will always change now and, and this is not a plug, absolutely, no. Robbie, and so please uh, never apologise for that. No. This is called Mind Your Bop. Mind Your Bop, and, and it's on Facebook. Yes, on Facebook. Yes, go to Facebook. So literally today, before I was here, and this is this is what I commit to, roughly one Thursday morning a month, mm-hmm. we record as many podcasts as we can. So it'll look like I'll say, I'll say something at the end. Next week we will have. Yeah. You'll probably see me sitting in the same chair with the same shirt because yes. we've recorded yeah. it. So there is a capacity for us. And Marty's a businessman yeah. who owns his own business. So we've committed to giving it at least one Thursday morning a month. And we, we invite people down to, to share that. And, and do you know something? Lisburn 98 FM give us their studio to oh, use. So we, we, used, we used to do it in a wee, in a, just in a wee room, bad acoustics and everything. And Lisburn FM con- contacted us and said, That's excellent. Come and do it here free of charge. That's great motivation, even to see that sort uh, of background. So, and and uh, and and then, uh, sorry, I said I'd do it in two parts. I'm going to part mind your bab. I'm going to actually give, do it in three parts if you don't mind. I said about being a person of faith. Mm-hmm. I looked, I looked at what I was doing. I thought I'm involved in churches. What are churches doing to tackle mental health? Not mental health in the community in the first instance, but recognizing that mental health exists in churches. And I wasn't happy when I thought about it because I couldn't think of anything <laughs> locally. So I wrote out. Um, in my capacity as, a, as actually as a, as a politician because I knew that that would perk their attention and as a mental health um, advocate and said you can use your platform absolutely yeah absolutely um, why would you not um, so uh, I wrote out to them told them who I was and most of them to me anyway and said would you like to meet and talk about it so I wrote out to about 40 something churches and over 20 got back to me and uh, every denomination is represented um, and I stepped away from it about six months ago and the reason I did is because I was taking the politics out of it didn't want there to be seen to be a unionist or a politician of any ilk heading it at the right time when they had established themselves I stepped away um, they, they, they are doing fantastic work fantastic the work the churches you're it's talking about church. now so remember you said about how do we join this all together mm-hmm. well 
it's about it's about mind your bop it's about stars which is an online thing that's been it's about emerge which is a counseling service it's about atlas which is a help center it's about the churches it's about the music scene it's about the sports scene all doing it together nobody owns us this is a shared issue and it's about getting these people to work in, in cooperation and sharing the responsibility and and it's not about sharing anybody's details it's about sharing the burden and we get, and we need to do this together literally need to do together now the, the third stage is what I do as a politician. Well, you mentioned Mike before. Mike asked me to do the portfolio of mental health. He never told me why, but I suspect it's because he knows that I'm a chatty man and that I, I love people. I love meeting people and I have a heart for people. Um, and I genuinely didn't know what I was getting into when I said yes. Um, I, I had been with lots of people who had suffered and so on, and, and I have just like yourself and others in natural empathy there. Um, what I have de developed such a passion for it um, because I've been exposed to an awful lot of trauma. But even when I was in the fire service, uh, I need to set this scene maybe even better here. When I was in the fire service in the early 2000s, I worked in Springfield Road, which is Ralph Belfast. There was a there was a time when they're still struggling with with with, with a high level of, of death by suicide in North West Belfast. But even then, in the early 2000s, we were going to what we termed as body recovery from death or suicide and I can remember one Sunday morning specifically and I'd been to quite a few body recoveries part of the team which which and it was off Falls Road and I remember driving up uh, and the, a young fella a very good looking young fella uh, and he all intents and purposes looked at the world at his feet had hung himself and we, I was part of the, the, the team that recovered the body and I remember seeing his family and, and unfortunately we couldn't shield, you try and shield the view, we couldn't because of the, 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 how steep the hill was, the family was standing down it, you couldn't have shielded them from what we had to do to get the body down. That will live with them forever and I remember, I felt sorry for the young guy, I did, but I also, at this, but, but that, my sympathy wasn't, my sympathy was with his family. And the pain that I could see in here and they could see us take, you know, recovering the body and, uh, and when I think back to all the things that I've added in my life to where I am now, I have no doubt that I am where I'm supposed to be on the topic that I'm supposed to be on. I've been exposed to a lot of that over the years, professionally mm. and through my family. Didn't make sense at the time, mm. but given the portfolio I was given through new conversations with Mike mm. and the heart that I have for it, I'm here for to do this for at this moment in time. Now, obviously we've had the, the, the last three years of no government, which, let me tell you, will exacerbate the already evident problem. And for that, as a politician, I am well, deeply regret, deeply, deeply regret, and every politician should, because we weren't tackling what we should have been tackling for the last three years. And I'm not a person to blame. I'm saying we should have been doing it, okay? But let's be clear about this. If mental health is front and centre of this new deal, and I'm, I'm, I'm thumping the fist here, and I'm, all I would say is that the mental health, uh, uh, the mental health uh, framework and the mental health strategy is front and centre of like the first couple of pages in this. This is a shared responsibility. Uh, I, I do believe that every political party is invested in this, but none more so <laughs> than me and the Australian Party. And, and that's not to be political about this, other than to say we've been consistent, and it is, uh, I mean, I, I can say this, that the mental health strategy is on there. It was a, a, an addition that we insisted on very late in the negotiations, and that was a commitment. Now, some of it will be tied to money, but as I've said to you, it's not all about money. It's about it's about making it's about setting the example in terms of leadership of saying this is really important. You you mentioned a, a brilliant analogy about cancer. When we were younger, you couldn't say the word. My grandfather died of cancer, and it was never spoken because you couldn't say the big C. 
big C was what we said, and you didn't even say the big C. My, my, you know, and, and, and there's been a, it's, it's busted out, are people still dying of cancer? Yes, but early, earlier diagnosis, early treatment, and people are living longer, and they're not actually dying of cancer, they die with cancer. Um, uh, and the same needs to be true or when we, when we really set the goals here for uh, tackling mental health and suicide prevention. I mean, the Protect Life 2 strategy, we managed even without a minister to get off the floor last year. The parties did come together in a collegiate approach. Um, I think it's Orlea Flynn heads up the Sinn Féin MLA and she heads up the suicide prevention group, which I, I can, uh, I, I'm on and I co-chair the mental health with Mark Durkin. It doesn't matter if you're orange or green or neither. This is, for me, the number one priority. And, uh, and you know something, out of tragedy, maybe something... Good will happen in this country and this island. Yeah, uh, powerful stuff. Um, and regardless of whether it's a UUP you're involved with, which you are, yeah. but any political party, it certainly comes across loud and clear that you certainly are the right man for heading up your party's uh, department on mental health. Thank you. Um, just, I suppose, before we start a new conversation here, we're 56 minutes into this okay. podcast. Sure, carry on. And um, I, I guess I need to apologise to anybody that is um, tuning in to Shared Ireland to hear a conversation about politics, because I feel as if um, the conversation so far, politics, has not been touched on. But like yourself, Robbie, I will make no apologies for um, using this platform I guess that we have created for ourselves to talk about this very um, I don't, yeah. know, don't know what the, the proper word is very serious yes and ever increasingly um, worrying subject and um, I think it's a uh, 57 minutes well spent yeah Robbie uh, why the UUP for example why not the DUP um, okay so I've always voted unionist because um, I valued the union um, however um, and, and some people don't like it when people describe themselves as a moderate I, I can't think of a better word in terms to describe what where I see my politics um, I genuinely believe that unionism should be in terms of a political ideology should be the most generous the most open uh, the most embraceive um, the most confident ideology and um, whilst I'm not saying we are that it would be my ambition that we become that but I am certain sure that in my time since 1972 that wouldn't ever be used to describe the, the DUP and I have some friends in the DUP who are lovely people um, genuinely lovely people but as a party um, they would never have been attractive for me in terms of uh, an option to join tell me this just on that point Using you use the word moderate there yes We'll go with that because I think it's a pretty appropriate word to use okay. for the general public would, would agree with you. Why has the UUP lost ground, which you clearly have, in the same way as the SDLP have lost ground to Sinn Féin, which they clearly have? Why have the two, just looking from nationalist unions, two moderate, we'll yes. say, parties, yes. SDLP, UUP, lost ground to their two less perceived less moderate I'm not going to get too technical with this answer. Okay. You can, uh, maybe a short answer. <laughs> but the easiest thing that you can sell in politics, the easiest commodity, is fear. It's the easiest thing to point the finger at someone else and say, they bad, we good. 
and I firmly believe that it was um, it was the politics of fear, which after 1998 allowed to push people apart when they were coming together. What happened in 1998 is well debated recently, and I, and I said this earlier, there are those that were opposed to it who all of a sudden are using it as, a, as, a, as the white paper and saying, here's what we've got. That after a very troubled 30 years, over 70% of people in, in this country from all hues voted in favour of the Good Friday Agreement and said enough is enough. We need to share this place. We need to work together. That discomforted some people. And um, and that relationship was caustic, is a, 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 a very soft word to cause, call it, in that early, from 1998 to early 2000s. And those people had a long way to go. But I think when they, uh, when, you, when you look at um, Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley, for instance, and in, in when they did get together, and I'm glad they did, by the way. However, I don't think, I, I just, in terms of this journey, many of us never had that journey to make, or didn't have to make that journey. I, and I would give more credence to the people that never had to make the journey. But I admire anybody that does make the journey, okay? Um, it didn't go far enough. It, it got to a point where it was easier to um, strengthen your base on maintaining a them and us's. And what happened was the change at St Andrews, and it'll be, I'm sure it's been discussed here, I'd be surprised if an Australianist didn't say this. When they changed the... Um, the nomination method of how you nominate the first and deputy first minister. In 1998, the unionist had to nominate the nationalist, and the nationalist had to nominate the unionist. That's symbolic. That's leadership, mm -hmm. and that's saying instead of saying demons, that's saying I want you mm -hmm. to share power, and then the other one has to reciprocate and say I want to share power with you. And that was changed fundamentally in, in 2005, and so ground was lost. Would, would you agree, Robbie? With many commentators would say that we had a political process here, but never a peace process. Uh, very interesting analogy. Uh, I, I when I first got involved in politics, I was actually I used to hate people saying to me, "We're we have a peace process," because I for me it was nineteen ninety eight, and bear in mind what I said I did in nineteen ninety eight, uh, the job that I did in nineteen ninety eight. I think I had as much right, if not more, to to make the decision I made because I would I would have been it was a, diff a difficult life to lead at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, and, and, and I think there's been a lot of lost years. Um, I really do. Was, was there complacency set in by everyone? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Someone has used the analogy, and I'm not saying that I totally agree with it, but that, uh, that niceness Republicans seen it as the start and the opportunity, and that unionists saw it as the destination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here, and here, here's the reality. So both of them are right and wrong for different reasons. Unionists should not have been complacent and said they still should have been looking at it and saying, what can't Northern Ireland be? What, what makes a better future? And Niceness could have been looking at it and saying, okay, let's look for change, but it may not be that full unification. It may be something different. How do we work together for something that is shared? You say shared Ireland, I say shared island. And, and sh sh here, here's the thing. We still live on the same blink and thing, the same place. We've still got the same opportunity. We share the same problems. And, you know, it's, it's about having the grown-up discussions. Right. Um, loads of topics I want to discuss with you. But again, we're over there, Mark here. But I have to talk about one particular subject here. And if you wouldn't mind, Robbie, I'd like you to go on a little journey with me here. Uh, you go to bed one night, you wake him up the next morning. You go to your office in Stormont. Okay. You go up the stairs and you see your name on your door. And it says, um, Robbie Butler, MLA for Lagan Valley. And underneath it, your party is Sinn Féin. Uh -huh. So you're Sinn Féin MLA on this journey. 
okay. that you're going on me with. Yes. So as a Sinn Féin MLA, sell me the benefits of a United Ireland, please, in this dreamlike state that oh, you're in. Okay, so so the first thing that I would reach for, um, other than a, than a, a marker <laughs> to change it, <laughs> I'm only joking, uh, uh, I'll be respectful, um, is... <laughs> Uh, I'll just say this at the start because I know this is very serious. But I mean, I, 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 my name is Robbie Butler, and obviously there was a Sinn Féin councillor in this been called Paul Butler on yes. stage. I have suffered <laughs> when I've been putting up posters in certain areas for that, for for sharing the same name. We're not related. Um, however, I mean, what what I would be doing probably is a, uh, it's an interesting one from from this perspective. If I if it was Sinn Féin, is you'd, you'd be utilising Brexit. As as, a, as an opportunity in that, that European identity. The difficulty is the, the Sinn Féin up till two thousand and fifteen were a Eurosceptic party, and 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 but but that's that's we're, we're in two thousand nineteen. Can I add just one little extra question into the one I already did? Ask yes. You, how would you convince unionists to come along on the journey with you, speaking as a Sinn Féin okay. MLA? Well, well, I would say it would be in around commemorations and celebrations of 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 that facet of, of our troubled history so probably um that if, if, if i'm uh, tactical and I'm, I'm looking at it in terms of how you get to change the narrative that we have in terms of terrorism versus um in, in the troubles and i'm no advocate for any uh, lawyer or republican terrorist here and i'll never share that with anybody is that um the majority of people here don't share the narrative of the the any form of terrorism was legitimate or good. We may understand how people got into it, and 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 I've sat with Republicans and had a discussion where, and loyalists, where we talk about the root of how you get into something and how you see your ideology and what it leads to. The loss of life is never going to be worth it, in in in, in my estimation. Um, I quantify this by looking at my own kids and saying, would I want any of my kids to potentially give their life up? for a cause like, or lose your life because of, no, no. Flesh out a little bit more, if you don't mind, when you said around commemorations. Okay, so um, in terms of what it does for either victims um, or people like myself who suffered in a different way. Um, so uh, we're of a certain vintage, so we can remember driving, going, traveling through different areas where for the wrong reasons you felt a deep unease. I would have travelled to my grandparents' house in West Belfast through Republican areas and I can remember lying in the back seat of a car because of the fear of, because there were issues and troubles at the time, but similarly someone from um, a, a Roman Catholic nationalist background would have felt the same. That was wrong and that formed part of my upbringing and so on. But trying to understand that is accepting that the same was true on the other side. That was what you were told, what you were taught, what you heard and that's what you believed to be true. So it's about challenging that narrative in and around that we that you know um, certain 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 terms of the Again, that's why I asked you, I phrased this question in this yeah. way to hear you as a unionist yeah. trying to tell me as a nationalist yes. what I and my community and maybe broader community yes. would need to do in order to help encourage you possibly to have a conversation about a future border poll yeah. uh, or whatever you know yeah yeah yeah. Um, I think, um, I mean, it's interesting we're talking about it now. We, we have problems with our past here in Northern Ireland, and we would have assumed that in the South it was already years ahead. But as has been proven in this last week, perhaps not. 
because there's a bit in around the RIC and the difficulties that the government there. And I actually think, and this isn't a unionist speaking and going, oh, look at that. It's not. It's it's disappointing, and and I don't understand Irish history. I don't. Ask, I don't I'm not a, a historian, but I am reading, and I'm looking at the pressure that, uh, of politics in the south, and I'm looking about Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. I'm looking at Sinn Féin's input. I'm, I'm interested, and I'm looking at it and going, look, we're complicated here. Northern Ireland's complicated, as is uh, the Republic, and 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 there's things not dealt dealt with better up till now. However. And, and I was reading earlier uh, an article in the Irish News where, where one of the reporters had covered a piece and, and they talked about this period of commemorations and, and there, was, there was the debate at the time, how do we do this? Do we look at it warts and all or do we, we, do we tie it to what we've achieved? Neither of them were perfect. Um, uh, but I, listen, I don't think we can leave it any longer to, to, to see this as not as an obstacle to progress and tackling things like mental health, which are shared. Um, but recognising that the, this is a shared place, whether it's an island or an Ireland. And I'll give you an opportunity to sell me the benefits of remaining within the Union. Okay, so uh, I recognise that I may not be able to change your heart, but let's look at the, the reality of some of the best things that we can offer. So um, the NHS is, is definitely the jewel in the crown, so that's, that's healthcare free at the point of access. And it's the, the transformation of that. Again, the, the welfare system at the minute, for all its flaws, and there are flaws in it, and there was a cross-party consensus in tackling the, the, some of the issues, the Northern Ireland specific consequences. Um, I think that is something good. But actually, I think I you have to go after someone's heart too. You can't just get them on the nuts and bolts because you couldn't give me a million pound and say, United Ireland, neither could I give you a million pound, you say you're British. But what I think we can do is we can say, we have an opportunity here in Northern Ireland uh, to be Northern Irish if you want, Irish if you want, British if you want, European if you want. Once you start to take away something that perhaps isn't guaranteed, then you're on a really sticky wicket. And and I genuinely, from my perspective, um, would say Northern Ireland's never been given a chance. It's time we give it a chance. From In a hundred years, it hasn't been given a chance. I, be I believe you honestly believe that. I believe that. Well, I don't know because I think, for instance. And then there's fault on both sides here. So you had, um, perhaps for unionism, definitely we know that unionism and certain iterations of government years ago was not fair and equitable at times. We also know that nationalism, for whatever reason, has always desired and had that heart for unification, which I understand, by the way. Um, I, I can understand. And so Northern Ireland was trapped, in, the concept of it was trapped in the middle, and there was no confidence between the two to say, actually, can we do something with this? That's why I get into politics now, to have that conversation. Again, very conscious of time, and I keep saying that, and I keep leading you on into another question. Will there be a border poll in your lifetime? What age am I? 48. Um, is it possible? It's possible. Um, I would say, is it probable? I'm not convinced that it's probable. And the reason being, I think that societal changes move that quick, that there's a generation of people that are coming, that are looking for the best of everything that can be, and they like that multicultural, multi-dimensional identity. So younger people are not so tied to the Republican, loyalist, unionist, nationalist identity. They're more concerned with saying, I like being European, or I like the bit of having a wee bit of Irishness, and I like a wee bit of Britishness, and, the, and maybe they're gonna help us older people understand that you're here for a, sh a good time not a long time 
and and and, and I don't I don't win on anybody's parade for wanting and aspiring. I've got some some of my best friends, especially from the fire service. It was one of the best places to meet people with real strong nationalist Republican ideology. And some of those friends of mine are and, and are really they're still good friends actually from uh, they're from Tyrone actually some of them um, from Oma in particular. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> uh, and from Cookstown, but mostly from around the one stuff. And do you know something? The best thing that the best thing that I could have done was meet those people. And I tell you what, we have a, a much better understanding. And do you know something? I'll go as far as this to say this. We love each other. Very good. Not like love each other. No, no. Uh, that's that's pr um, pr pretty strong words. But, but, and I'm but, pointing my finger at you now, actually, yeah. when we're doing this. But yes, I, we love each other. And yeah. um, and, and we, we're saying, well, what would be, what's good for us? Yeah. All of us. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting to hear your take on that. So I'm assuming you would also agree that you have no problem with people discussing, not, having conversations. Not at all. We don't have to agree. Yeah. But as long as we learn how to disagree respectfully let, let me give in you, an adult manner. Let me give you a wee picture here. We talked about mental health. And we talked about the problems. And you know that uh, the prevalence in men is yeah. absolute. Why is that? Because men don't talk. Yeah. Okay? So if we're bottling stuff up as men and uh, we're not having a conversation, and you don't understand me, I don't understand you, we don't understand that there are shared pressures there. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one of the causes and root causes of, and maybe, maybe, because we weren't having conversations at times uh, and we were glossing over things here. Uh, yet we were sharing these superficial working relationships and stuff, but we weren't sharing, we weren't confident enough, mm -hmm. maybe, mm -hmm. in our position, and we weren't respectful enough in our acceptance. That maybe that's why there was so much tension for 30 to 40 years and why we're we're still dealing with it today. Integrated education is that the way forward? Um, yeah, I think I think yeah. Well, I think it's integrated education has a real part to play in this. So yes, I would we would we would support shared education in the first instance, um, respecting the right for people of perhaps uh, a faith to have the ability to still do things. Um, our education system is where we are going to see the the real great leaps in Northern in terms of real reconciliation and that real shared future. Um, and normalising that people being educated together is key, absolutely. These are just quite very quick yes. topics here. Social media, toxic or not? It's absolutely in the middle because because it, it has a lot of, of, of uh, the price that's being paid at the moment for the escalation of mental health isn't because of social media, it, it's, it's, but it's a big part of, of, of that. And it can be toxic, but I think there is something that we need to do in terms of those big providers, in terms of tightening up, but there's parental responsibilities with this. Uh, and so there's an educative process in and around social media. So whilst it is great to live and have the freedom to do stuff, the consequences of what we do, especially in social media, need to be understood. Social media is something that's going to be around possibly forever, certainly in our lifetime now, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still navigate on Facebook and Instagram and some of other things. But but here's the thing. Social media is a real problem, actually, because let's, let's just very quickly touch on two things. Snapchat, TikTok, and there's other things out there. I know the kids are suffering greatly because of the, the anonymity that can be seen in these groups and the, the bullying, the toxicity in there. Actually, we'd be better off without those. Listen, that's why I mentioned that to you, Robbie, because of your um, mental health um, portfolio by yeah. your own party, yeah. is that social media technology, great platforms, absolutely brilliant, yeah. a lot of positive things. But I believe, honestly, the negative implications outweigh the positive ones yeah. when it comes to Twitter and Facebook. Because of what you said earlier in this conversation, Robbie, when you and I grew up, 
if we got bullied at school, we went home and at least the bullying didn't start to half hit the next morning. Absolutely. When we went home now, it maybe only freaking starts. If you don't remember saying, I like looking at you, I don't think you were bullied when you were younger. <laughs> I think you could have handled yourself. It's only we boys like me maybe got bullied. <laughs> <laughs> Looks can be the same. <laughs> right, again, um, leaving mental health and, yes. and health issues to okay. the one side. Yep. So leave them to the park them. What issues can our communities unite over, Rob? Okay. Um, I think. Okay, so I think we there. We're still one, fo the, one football team, no? Well, well, well. As long, as, as, long as we call it Northern Ireland, I'm really joking. No, I think. I think here's the thing. We, we in Northern Ireland, we still have segregated housing. You mean the North of Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I call it the North of Ireland. If you call it Northern Ireland, uh, right? Okay, good, Northern Ireland. A good man, North of Ireland. So <laughs> there we go. Um, with progress. So, so here we still have segregated housing. We've segregated education and so on, and in the greater extent. So, um, I think you know, segregated education or segregated housing is a real is a still a real problem. Um, I think that that is something that needs to to be looked at. So uh, we work together. We need to be educated together. Live together, work together, and and that's going to be a long process. But I think we need to get there. Sense of community. What is that sense of community? We have we should have shared communities and and work on what we can be as opposed to what we are and what we were. I think we've, we've concentrated uh, on this island and in Northern Ireland especially. What where, where where do we come from? So that's what we are. Let's look at what we can be and not be not diminish anybody's sense of nationalism or unionism. They're both equally valid for because we inherited it. We did not create it. We inherited it. So let's worry less about. You know where we come from, and and that's start looking. And I know it sounds that people say, "Oh, you're uh, you're a dreamer," or you're, "You're you're thinking." I don't care. It's the right. It's the right direction to be looking now. Right. Last question. I promise, and we always ask it to everybody. Invite. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, who would they be, and why? Oh my goodness! Now, do we? Do these have to be real people? I mean, no. I... Fictional dinner party. So, uh, but I've been talking about. You know, can I say Jesus? <laughs> oh, of course you can. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, definitely Jesus. Okay, because um, and not and at times in my life you'll have said, oh, hey, you're you're most of a Christian, aren't they, Robbie?" Mm -hmm. I'm imperfect like anybody else, but yes. most important figure in my life. Um, Good enough first guest. Oh, yep, absolutely. And then we'd all be on our P's and Q's. <laughs> but I actually think, I think if you met him, it would be totally different. I think um, uh, Stephen Gerrard. Big Liverpool fan, are massive, you? Or big Liverpool, Rangers fan? Ma oh, no, no, I'm not a Rangers fan. <laughs> um, massive. I think I'll, I'll, I'll finish with something on Rangers himself again in a minute, um, which I think wraps up Northern Ireland. Um, possibly if you're mine, and you might say, well, we've run out of time. Um, so Stephen Gerrard, because I'm a massive Liverpool fan. So am I. Passionate about <laughs> Liverpool. And, and, and I hold him in such high regard. Um, Istanbul. And, and, oh man, absolutely Istanbul. And uh, you know, I remember when he scored against Olympiacos. Mm -hmm. One of my uh, most favourite football games I was ever at was Anfield when we beat Chelsea in penalties. I remember, oh, yes. I remember Iron Robin going to pick the ball up mm -hmm. down at the cop to take the penalty, and I knew he was going to miss because of the abuse it would be unheard of that man. Nobody could have scored. And, and, now, and now all Chelsea fans want to shout at him as Slippy G. Yeah, Slippy G. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Chelsea supporters only plastic, you know. Not like, uh, um, no, uh, so Stevie. So come here, I'm loving this. Yes. Jesus as your first guest, Stevie G as your second. And I'm going to say, now this wouldn't always be the case, but I'm going to say this guy's name uh, in this instance because uh, that he has got, he's inspired me recently. I love listening to his music, is uh, Guy Lightbody from Super ah, Show. Yes, yes. And the reason I'm saying that is Northern Ireland has had some fabulous exports. Uh -huh. And he's one of Northern Ireland's finest. Uh -huh. uh, and why is it? Not just because of his music and the music of Snow Patrol, but Guy Lightbody's uh, heart for mental health. Mm -hmm. 
he and 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 he has roasted MLAs at times and politicians over it, which he's just, he's entitled to do. Mm -hmm. So we would have guy like Body and hopefully he'd bring his guitar. Mm -hmm. Me and Stevie could reminisce about football and Jesus could just save the lot of us. He'd just say, right, we're gonna sort this and that would be I think that would be a great mix. So, and sorry for the sorry for the ladies that I didn't invite a lady at this stage. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get and for this. I know, yeah, you I, do know that. I know. Uh, but anyway, that's 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 the slate you not me. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, uh, I apologise for this. I'm going to ask you the same question. However, I'm going to add this little bit of a caveat to it. You have to invite three politicians. Oh my goodness! Right? Yes. But, and they have to be northern based. Yes. And they cannot be from your own party. Not a problem. Who would they be and why? The first one would be Nicola Mallon from SDLP. Okay. Um, I. I so when I started in politics in 2016, I recognised that the single biggest failure in that building was there was no relationships. None. None. And that's why it fell out. Apart from everything else. I fell down over that. And, and I'm, I'm not looking around to pick a friend, but I'm looking at people and I'm very open and I'm looking at who, I'm, I genuinely pick up who they admire. And not because you can talk, because politicians talk too much. So who's got a heart for the issue they're talking about? Nicola was talking about poverty, social deprivation, and, and like, you're living in North Belfast. And I thought that, that woman actually cares. So I mean, Nicola, that would be widely, widely picked up. Uh, uh, anyway, that I've said she is my favourite MLA. So that's the first one. Let me think. So uh, second one from from North, uh, I would have to go uh, Chris Little. Mm -hmm. So Chris is from the Alliance Party. Um, shares very similar um, values, probably uh, to me and Nicola. Um, he's a great guy. He's about ten years younger than me, with about ten years more experience in politics. Yeah. Um, so we would even it out. But I, I suppose what I wouldn't be afraid to do is to bring a bit of a challenge to it as well, um, because it, there's no point preaching to the choir. So let's think about inviting the third person from a challenging party, and let's just imagine it would be Sinn Féin. This, this is kind of why I asked this okay. question, and I'm um, hoping a, you would go there. And yes. you did fair play to you. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. are about to. No, I will, and, I'll, and I, I, um, I'll go for. Only a Flynn. Okay. Now, that's slight, slightly an easy pick. And because Orly is passionate about suicide prevention and mental health. But she's also a very proud Republican. And and she's a she's a, she's a young woman and she's passionate about her party, she's passionate about her ideology. And that, that doesn't scare me at all. No. Um, and um, and I me and Orly, uh, particularly around the suicide stuff, um, we support each other. Um, and I know, for instance, there's a, there's a, a counselling group from this point have reached into West Belfast. Not, nothing to do with me, but I was there at the start of this wee group. So I have a wee bit of an attachment to them, and, and, and I know Aaliyah was in, involved with them. So that, that, that's, your, that's your three. Nicola Mallet. If you had an invited DUP member, who would that be? Oh, my goodness. Ah, uh -huh, right. <laughs> that should be the easiest one, shouldn't it? It nearly should be. Well, apart from your own party. Okay, as I said, there's, there's a few that I like, but I'm not going to pick necessarily my favourite because it probably... No. I, I, I like Jeffrey Donaldson as my MP. I'd love to replace him. Don't get me wrong. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. think like in Bali, you should have a most used MP. However, that's not going to happen in the near future. He has a strong base. I'll pick someone... I don't know, sir. He's put her on him very close. She did indeed. There was a great land surge there, but yeah. it's, a, it, uh, it's, a, it's a unionist town, and it'll, I imagine it'll be a unionist MP for, yeah. for a while now. Um, I would I would say let's go for someone who oh man it's going to, you can't say Jim Wells because he doesn't have the whip anymore let's just go for Christopher Stafford okay and that's an interesting one and, and if anybody wants to go back and see in terms of the uh, I'll tell you because Christopher 
Um, it's just been made the, the uh, deputy whip. And it, but that he would bring a different type of energy to the room mm -hmm. and a, a different type of challenge. No doubt about that. And um, yeah, and me and me and uh, Christopher could have some interesting conversations. But that would be, and that, that's a young. And here's the thing. So I didn't pick anybody from the previous iteration. I, I, there, I've noticed that. If you look at that, uh -huh. so those are those are four people, including myself, who perhaps see things slightly differently than mm -hmm. politicians who have many years' experience. Rabbi, I honestly want to keep continuing asking you questions for a multitude of reasons because I think they need to be asked but one of the main ones is because I love listening to your answers and that's the highest compliment I can honestly give you. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, for me individually to speak to you today and on behalf of Shared Ireland and our listeners I thank you for giving up your valuable time and speaking mainly about a very uh, sensitive subject and one that can unite all our communities regardless of our political persuasion or religious beliefs and that is mental health. Amen. And hopefully you will maybe see fit to join us again in the near future. Surely. Thank you very much Robbie. Thank you Neil and good luck and thanks for listening guys. Thanks a lot folks. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, a like and a retweet and tell your friends would be appreciated. Stay tuned. Speak soon. Bye bye.